share a scripture with you um, because I want to emphasize the thought of teamwork or labors together because that's what missions is all about, teamwork. If you would, turn to Mark chapter 2. And I enjoy this part. I like responsive reading. How many like that? I like it. And I also like a stand. So why don't we stand for the reading of God's word and we'll read responsively Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Verses 1 through 12. I will read 1 and you 2 and so forth, and we'll read together on verse 12. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And again, he entered to Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. Straightway, they gathered together, insomuch there was no room to receive them. No, much about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. There were certain of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God only? The reason within themselves. Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk? And I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into the house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Let's pray. Father, again, I come to you acknowledging the wisdom and the excitement of your word. I ask that as the Holy Spirit revealed things and showed to me and encouraged me things in this passage of Scripture, that Holy Spirit, you'll do the same again. We want to bring honor and glory to our Savior. We want to encourage people in the things of the Lord. And so I ask for help. I ask for guidance. Use me, I pray, to bring honor and glory to our Savior. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I find this very passage of Scripture because it's exciting. Here are four people carrying a man on a stretcher. How many have ever carried somebody on a stretcher? Raise your hand. Not many, many don't. I, I've been a pallbearer, but I've never been a stretcher bearer. But the thing that I find is important, everybody has to have the same focus. How many understand that? And these folks had the focus of getting this man to Jesus Christ. Why? They knew if they could get this individual to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ could meet the needs. Amen? Yeah. Uh, and so there's, but there's got to be teamwork in it. I envision four people because it's been born of four, but each of them have to have the same goal. Each of them really needs to be a step. That's a military term, folks. Getting step, you know. <laughs> um, 
But because if you get out of step, you may get the individual to your objective, but it's stressful. There can be conflicts. It's just a lot of difficulties. But if everybody's in step with the same purpose of the same goal, it will work better. And that, we find that here. It seemed like there was teamwork. Everybody wanted to do what they needed to do to get this individual to Jesus Christ. How many see that there? They were focused. And how do you say that? Well, notice, when they get to the house, what do they find? An open door? <laughs> no, they didn't find an open door. They couldn't find any room. It doesn't say how they approached the people, but uh, in Luke it tells us there was a multitude of people. Uh, I say standing room only. The doors were packed. The windows were filled. They're, how are they going to get them to Jesus? They, want, they knew they had to get them to Jesus. You understand that, right? Well, they did something very unorthodox. They got on the roof and started tearing it apart. <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't know what the owner of the house thought. I don't know what the people down below thought. They heard some noise on the roof, and all of a sudden, things start filtering down, and they start seeing holes open up, and, and then here comes down the stretcher. That, that's not a normal way of getting people to Jesus, is it? But it, it, it was what they had to do. Because why? They were focused in doing what they had to do to get this individual that needed help by Jesus to Jesus. Amen? But I also see missions in that. Because missions is teamwork. It's not one person. It's not the whole plan of missions is not your pastor's plan. It's not the Baptist plan. It's God's plan. But to accomplish of getting people to Jesus Christ, getting souls that need to be saved, needs to be focused. And everybody needs to be focused in doing their thing. And I just, I don't know if this is, way it is, but I, 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 put the, I put this thing in teamwork. They did what they had to do. It didn't make any difference what people had to say. People may not have liked them to tear up the roof, but they were going to do what they needed to do, right? I remember when I got to Aviano, Italy. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know where we are going to live, where we are going to stay. I didn't know the language. I didn't know nothing. But I was trusting the Lord because I knew he called me there and he wanted me to get a church started. And uh, when we finally got something started, I didn't know where people lived because the military weren't on base. They were scattered through the communities. And I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to reach them. And I think the Holy Spirit gave me, I, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit gave me the thought of the license plates for the military were different. So I started following license plates. Now, you have to be careful because I didn't want them to think they were terrorists. I may be a holy terror, but I'm not a terrorist. <laughs> and uh, if you follow them too long, then they think, so I tried. But you know what happened? I was following license plates. Most of them ended up at the stores and they didn't find out where they lived. <laughs> so I had to scratch that idea. Then what did I come up with? Following a school bus. Again, I had to be careful. I didn't want them to think a terrorist was following. But you know, the kids get off. And they live in the neighborhood where they get off, right? And I figured, well, I'll, find, I'll canvas the neighborhoods and I'll find them. And as our church was beginning to grow, I found out that they were thinking that there was a terrorist following them. So I quit following the school bus. But I followed this one car, and I followed it too long. And I knew that they knew. And I didn't know, I didn't want to stop following them because I didn't want them to really think I was a terrorist. So, ultimately, 
they, fought, they took me out into the middle of an open field. And they stopped. And you know what happened? Four big guys got out of the car. I'm not kidding you. And they come back to me. You know what I did? I got out of my car and I went to them. <laughs> and I says, hi, my name's John Hornbeck. I'm the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church. And I'm looking for people that invite to church. You talk about somebody getting mad. <laughs> But that's all I knew how to do. Amen. I wanted to get people so I could find them, tell them about Jesus Christ, and get a church started. I, it may not be an orthodox thing, and don't you ever do such things like that. But that's what I had. That's what I felt I had to do. And these guys were doing what they thought they had to do to get people to Jesus Christ. But I want to consider each position. Position number one is the pastor. A pastor needs to be a soul winner. Amen. A pastor needs to be mission-minded. A pastor needs to be set the example of, of giving and caring and trying to do all he can to reach people for Jesus Christ. And Marty Schott's one of those. I've always enjoyed visiting with him. We, you know, there's not a single person he won't talk to about Jesus Christ. I don't care where they are in, in society. If they have a need and he knows it, he's going to try to reach that need when, by getting them to Jesus Christ. And I appreciate that. But then the second person position I see there is the missionary. And the missionary needs to have the same focus, right? That focus is getting people to Jesus Christ. Because we know that souls need to be saved, but most people, they may be religious or whatnot, but most people don't know how to go to heaven. And we need to be used of God to get something going so we can reach people for Christ. Amen? We need to. That's why you want your missionaries. How many understand what I'm saying? But we need to be in step with the pastor. Then... We need to be in step with position number three. That's the church member. Harvest Baptist Church. If you're a member of Harvest Baptist Church, put yourself in position three. Because that's who's there. Now, the church is not this building. And you've got a lovely building. I've always admired the building. I like it. I like it. I like it. You know, but that's not the church. The church is those who are saved and baptized and part of this church. Amen? How many understand that? But the truth is, the church member... And when you say church, it doesn't leave out anybody. If your name is on the roll, whether you're a boy or girl, teenager, whatever it is, mom or dad, old, you're a part of the church, and we're supposed to be a part of bearing that portion of the stretcher to get people to Jesus Christ. People know of all stratas how to get people. I find out that young people can win young people. Teenagers can win teenagers. Young adults, young adults. Um, moms and dads can win moms and dads. That's just the way it works. And, but everybody is to do their part to getting people to Jesus Christ. Amen? How many understand that? But we need to do it God's way. We can pray. Amen? That's part of the church's responsibility is to pray. But there's also, I, I say pay, but that's not really a good thing. We need to live. Amen? We don't pay. We don't, we don't there's, there's nobody's going to tell you what to give. If you're in a church like that, get out. Because God's the one that's supposed to tell you what to give. I mean, because the truth is, he's not trying to get from you. He's trying to get things to you. He's trying to give you fruit. He's trying to give you things that are going to last for eternity. He's trying to reward you. He's trying to make you money to be an investment. So we need to pray and give. We need to be sensitive to the, to the Holy Spirit of God and do things God's plan. Amen? Now, give you the fourth position. The Holy Spirit of God. We need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
We got pastor in position one. We got the missionary in position two. We got the missionary in uh, the church member in position number three, and now position number four. Notice beginning at verse five of 1 Corinthians. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believe, or ministers by servant. Here it goes. Even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted, Apollos watered. But what's that next phrase? But God gave the increase. So then, look at verse 7. Neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. But what? That God giveth the increase. Hey, you see what it is? The Holy Spirit of God's on this, on this portion. We need the Holy Spirit of God involved in getting people to Jesus Christ. Now, now, verse 8, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, but every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Here's what I want you to see. For we are labors together with who? With God. We need to understand we need to be in tune with God. We need to do things his way. We need to be focused on Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are getting people to him, and that's what missions is all about. The truth is, I can't be a missionary without you. How many understand that? God gave the Great Commission to who? Missionaries? He gave it to the church. Where does God get the missionaries? From the church. You know, the truth is, you can't, you can't do the Great Commission without me, and I need you. <laughs> Amen? Because I, I can't go there with, without some kind of financial support. I definitely don't, can't go there without prayer support. Because Why? It's God's plan. We need to do it his way because we need together work at doing what we can to get people to Jesus Christ. And that's important. Doing things God's way. And why I say that is this. Because, again, God wants to use us to bless us so that we could be encouraged in what he's doing in us and through us. I don't know about you, People usually tell me when I get to see somebody saved, they can see it written all over me. <laughs> because why? It's not me. Who is it? It's the Holy Spirit of God. I'm a tool. The same thing when you're given. If you really give the way God wants you to give, where you're letting him give through you with his finances and not yours, who gets the glory of that? Amen? You with me? God gets the glory. We need to understand, that's the focus. These men were focused on getting people to Jesus Christ, and that's what we need to do, focusing on Jesus Christ. And I'm here to say, I thank you that you guys are focused on Jesus Christ. <laughs> but the most important thing I want to say, and I know that. I've been here. I've seen, I know Brother Schott. But I want you to know, God is richly blessing Harvest Baptist Church. Think about the churches that have been started. Think about the missionaries that are on the field. There are preachers that God has influenced through this individual. There are missionaries that God has influenced. The military are scattered around the world. There are some of our missionaries today. Some of them are preachers today. But so many of them are faithful members sitting in pews just like you, involved in safe faith promise, telling people how to get saved and sharing the gospel. It's so exciting. And all that fruit, God keeps the records. And I'm excited. All I want to do is be found faithful, looking to what God's plan is, keeping my eyes focused on the person of Jesus Christ so that we can be used by the Holy Spirit of God as a tool in his hand at getting people to the Lord.
good to be here tonight. Let's take our Bibles, if you would, please, one more time. And we want to turn to the Old Testament tonight, 2 Kings chapter number 4. 2 Kings chapter number 4. And Brother Hornbeck, thank you for um, opening the Word of God for us this evening. And I was encouraged by that and, and thankful to see what God has done. And as he was, as he was going through that, I, I was thinking to myself, um, you know, it's been a long time since we have been uh, members of Harvest Baptist Church and have participated on a weekly basis in the Faith Promise Giving, but there was a time when we did that, and we were supporting the Hornbecks at that time, and the way I calculate it, uh, God knows that, and some of that's to my account as well, and I was excited about that. Uh, you know, I thought that, that's, that's uh, good to know what God was doing, and uh, I, I hope that you're excited about it as well. Second Kings chapter number four in our Bibles. Thank you so much for those who have been here through the week. It's been a good week. I've been encouraged by it, and, and uh, j- just enjoyed uh, being able to have the privilege to open the Word of God. Pastor, thank you for allowing me that privilege and allowing us to be here this week, and, and uh, we look forward to the days to come as well. And we are, uh, are appreciative that uh, Harvest Baptist Church is our, uh, again, once again, our sending church. And, um, and uh, we're thankful for that. Second Kings chapter number four. I, I really don't anticipate that we're going to spend a lot of time in the word this evening. Uh, but really what I want to do is kind of just take a look at a, an incident in the Old Testament where what we spoke about this morning is, I think, very well illustrated. That, that faith promise missions giving and kind of how it works and giving by faith. And we talked about this morning giving in a sacrificial way and then in a supernatural way and how God will use those. And, and we want to look tonight at a lady who really saw God do something very supernatural uh, in a way that uh, was in response to her faith. And uh, that's what we want to look at tonight. And remember, uh, faith promise missions giving is really you and I getting with God by faith and saying, God, would you please give through me what you might not otherwise give to me? And I just want to be a channel of those funds and uh, use them for, well, supporting people like the Hornbecks and seeing fruit that abounds to our account. And I'm going to tell you what, can you imagine the interest that is in heaven? Uh, you know, what do you get on your savings account today? Maybe, maybe 1%. Um, I'm guessing God's a little bit more generous than that. And that, uh, well, I know he is because we're going to walk on a street of gold. So who knows what all the dividends are when we get there. In fact, Paul says, I hath not seen and my ear hath not heard. And I don't know all what the dividends are, but it's going to be a great, great day. And a great, great time when we get there and see what God has, uh, has put to our account. That fruit has been abounding to our account. And uh, just, uh, you ought to be thankful. For 30 plus years, you've supported the Hornbecks. Can you imagine the fruit that's abounding to the account of that first church, that Philippian church in Macedonia that said, hey, we'll just get on board with this guy named Paul? I mean, a lot of guys didn't, a lot of people didn't want to have anything to do with Paul. Because, you know, I mean, he was a persecutor of the church, but the church of Philippi said, well, we'll take a chance on that guy and we'll, we'll go ahead and support him. Now, now, think that through. We believe that Jesus, because Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And there is a lineage of churches. You and I may not be able to trace that. I guarantee you God can. 
And churches start churches that start churches that start churches that start churches because that's God's plan. That tells me that though I can't trace the lineage, that, that, that's not part of the history that we have to accurately trace that. And I don't know which church is a descendant tonight, what local church is a descendant of the church at Philippi or the church at Corinth or the church at Thessalonica, but I do know this, there are there, they're there somewhere. They're in that lineage somewhere because there is a, a lineage of churches. Fruit's been abounding to the church at Philippi's account for 2,000 years. Wow. I mean, that is amazing to me. The investment that they made to send a little bios to remind you from this morning to the Apostle Paul to meet his needs is still abounding to fruit today. You say, well, I don't know if there's a church that's a li- that, that, that is. I, I, would, I don't want to argue the point with you tonight. I'll tell you this. What about when we read those writings that Paul wrote as he was on missionary journeys? And people are starting churches because of what we read. And churches that supported him so that they could, so that he could have the time to, to, to take and record the word of God. Fruit's still abounding to, those, to the accounts of those people. Brother Hornbeck is uh, just celebrated. I, I don't remember how old you told me you were, my brother, but you 74. But I guarantee you that the ministries that they have been involved in are going to go beyond, if the Lord Tarion is coming, beyond what the Hornbecks are going to be able to minister in directly. And yet that's still going to be fruit that abounds to the account of Harvest Baptist Church for years and decades to come as the Lord allows you to continue in missions. That's amazing to me. And I want to see an illustration of how this whole idea of faith promise, this biblical concept of faith promise giving works. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Now there, now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. So here's a widow woman. Her husband was one of the prophets, and, and he's, he's passed on now. He's with the Lord. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. So he left. They didn't have life insurance plans in that day. He had some bills that needed to be paid. And whoever their creditor was said, listen, if you can't pay the bills, I'm taking your sons. And that's what he's done. And she goes to Elisha, and she gives him this account. And Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what is in the house? And, he, and she said, thy handmaid hath nothing, not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Um, she said she didn't have anything in the house, but remember from this morning, she had some bios. The pot of oil would sustain life because it would be used to make bread, It'd be used to maybe light a candle so that uh, you could continue to work and maybe, uh, maybe she could uh, weave something or, or sew some, a garment and she could sell that to make some money. She had a little bit of something. A lot of times you and I say we don't have anything, but we learned this morning if we're living and breathing, we've got bios, that which sustains life. And God says if you've got bios, you've got something to give. Then he said, go and borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. 
And when thou art come in, and sh thou shalt shut up the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour unto thee into the, all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons and brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and she told the man of God or she told Elisha, hey, your plan worked. The oil was multiplied. And he said, go sell the oil and pay thy debt and live thou and thy children on the rest. Father, please bless our time in the word this evening, and Lord, we're asking that you would do what only you can, and uh, Lord, uh, move in our hearts and minister to us the word of God uh, as only you can apply it in our hearts this evening. Help us to be yielded to decisions you might make us, have us to make. Help us to be encouraged by the illustration we see in the text tonight, and, and be glorified in it all, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. When we were, when we were in Montreal in language school, we, uh, we were needing a little bit more support to go start the, the church in Shikudami, and yet I knew that the Lord did not want us to go back and raise support. We, had, we knew for, for beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that God had said, look, you're going to raise your support, you're going to go out for a year, whatever comes in, that's going to be your support, and then you go to the field, and that's exactly what we did. One year of deputation, and God blessed us in a tremendous way in that whole year of deputation. We were only ever in 67 churches, 62 churches churches supported us, and we went to the field, but we did go to the field a little bit under-supported, and we needed a little bit more money by the time it came to starting the church, and uh, uh, I, I was in my office one night, and I was kind of just with the Lord, and I was, uh, you know, I think I was actually fretting a little bit and telling the Lord, you know, hey, uh, we're going to need a little bit more money to start this church, and I know I'm not supposed to go raise any money, and I'm going to need you to do something here, and uh, I got a phone call. And uh, the, the man on the other end of the line was stuttering as he spoke. And he said, uh, uh, hello, can I speak to, can I speak to, can, can I speak to, can I speak to, and I'm thinking, what is this guy doing? And why is he even speaking English on my phone in French-speaking Quebec? And who is this guy? And why is he bothering me? He doesn't already know I've got problems. And he said, hold on, let me start over. And he doesn't stutter. He doesn't have a stuttering problem. He was nervous. And he said, can I speak to Tony? And I said, speaking? And he said, Tony, I think I'm your uncle. I thought, that's weird. <laughs> I said, you think you're my uncle? I said, I'm pretty sure I know all my uncles, and I'm pretty sure you're not one of them. And he said, no, I think I'm your uncle. I said, okay, what's your last name? He goes, Balava, and he says it right. <laughs> and I said, okay, you could be my uncle, because there's like five of us in the world. <laughs> I said, what's your first name? He said, it's Greg. I said, oh, you are my uncle. You're my father's brother, but because you and my father, I didn't say this to him, but because you and my father have a rift and have never really had anything to do with each other, and my father's never really been a part of my life, I really don't know you, but I do know of you. And he, he said this to me. Now, remember, you, you, you who are here and remember my, myself and my family, our, our family's not saved. We don't have Christians in our family. We're the first to be saved in our family. And, and, and Greg says to me, the next thing he says is, Hey, we are so happy. Now, the we is he and his wife. We're so happy you're serving the Lord. Now, most of my family was like, we hate that you're serving the Lord. <laughs> so this is news. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's good. And the next thing he says to me is, where do I start sending your support? 
And I said, you don't, because I don't know you. <laughs> and he said, no, no. He said, you don't understand. As far as I know, I'm the only Christian in my family. Till I found that you are a Christian. I found your name on the internet. He said, and, and my wife and I have already discussed this, and we said if we could find you, we would begin to support you on a monthly basis. Do you know that he supported us on a monthly basis and it made up every single bit of the gap that we had that we were short of? Every single bit. Now, I'm not telling you if you filled out a faith promise card, you might find you have a rich uncle. You probably don't. Um, I am telling you, though, that God can do things and fulfill your needs in ways that you can't begin to imagine, that you can't begin to reason out. And we meet in our text tonight a widow woman who had a certain obligation to a creditor that she can't fill. And, and there are no human means whatsoever by which she's going to be able to pay this debt. And so she does something really, really smart. She comes to the man of God. And in that day, remember, you didn't necessarily always go directly to God. You and I can go directly to God today. But in that day, you kind of went to the man of God. He was kind of the mediator. So she does something really smart, and she goes to the man of God. And the man of God lays out a prescription for her problems that truthfully makes zero sense when you look at it from an earthly standpoint. It doesn't make any sense at all. But because she has faith, and she trusts the man of God to give her good advice based on the word of God, she demonstrates that faith by being obedient to the thing he tells her to do. By the way, that's how you demonstrate your faith, by obedience to what God tells you to do. And so when she does that, God does what he always does, and he honors faith because God honors them who honor him. And he honors that faith. And God does through her what she could never have done on her own. And there's just some things I want us to see from the text, and I'm going to go very, very quickly. I'm well aware of the time tonight, and I'm going to go quickly, but there's some things I want us to see from the text, because I want to encourage you on the matter of faith, promise, giving, and, and, and we see what can come out of this in this text tonight. Would you notice with me, first of all, in this text, I see that we start off with a crisis situation. A crisis situation. This widow woman has had her husband die. Her two sons, who would be the, the main source of bringing income into the house, have now been taken away. A creditor says, we're going to take him. Now, she's going to be on her own. She's not going to have any means of being able to meet her own needs. And there are two things that I want you to see that this widow woman was facing in this crisis situation. Number one, she's facing death. Number two, she has a debt. There's death and debt in this crisis situation. And, and she can't possibly hope to get out of this situation on her own. Now, I want to make an application tonight. Can I show you tonight, can I remind you that you and I are living in a crisis situation? Whether you recognize it or not, we are living in a crisis situation. 
And the crisis situation is that all around us and around this world, people are facing death on a daily basis without Jesus Christ. They are dead in trespasses and sins. They are condemned already. They are right now, this very moment, on their way to hell unless somebody gets them the gospel and, and they are born again into the family of God. And so all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. People are right now dead in their trespasses and sins. And as you go out and you're walking around Torrington, or you think about those who are in, uh, in Italy, or our military workers, or wherever the case might be, I want to I remind you, would you look around you, and you're looking at a bunch of walking dead men. Everywhere we go, we're surrounded by those who are condemned already. That's what John 3 tells us, condemned already. Not that they're going to be condemned one day, Right now, without God in the world, where would you be without God in this world today? We are living in a crisis situation. Now, we don't live like we're living in a crisis situation. We live a lot of times like, hey, everything's okay, it's great, I'm on my way to heaven, just can't wait to get there, and it's perfect. But around us, people are living and dying and on their way to hell. That's the first part of the crisis situation. The second part of the crisis situation is whether you recognize it or not tonight, we have a debt. You and I have a debt. You say, no, no, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Praise God. And that debt has been paid. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the very moment you got saved and were adopted into the family of God, you became a debtor to lost people to get them the gospel. I know that because Paul says that exact thing in Romans chapter 1, where he says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready. I, I love that phrase, I am ready. Uh, in the French Bible, that phrase, I am ready, says, I have a, a vibrant desire to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul says we're debtors. The word debtor speaks of somebody who has a moral obligation to the fulfillment of a duty. Someone with a moral obligation to fulfill a duty. That describes every child of God. You and I have a moral obligation to preach the gospel. We just prayed for Ray. If you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't you share it? Wouldn't you feel like you had a moral obligation to tell the world, hey, I've got the cure right here. This, this can cure cancer. You would feel like you had a moral obligation to do that. And you would uh, no doubt be irate and you would, you would belittle anybody who would have the cure for cancer and say, I'm going to keep that to myself. But cancer is a terrible, terrible thing. But eternal lake of fire separated from Jesus Christ is even worse. Our God can cure cancer but he can also cure that sin problem. And the truth of the matter is, the sin problem is an even greater problem. 
and I, I don't have the cure for cancer, but I know the God that does. But I do know the cure for the sin problem. It's called Jesus. And he's still the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. And you and I are to reach the world with the gospel. Because we live in a crisis situation. Surrounded by walking dead men to whom we are debtors. You say, but what am I going to do? How am I going to reach him? Well, I'm just one person. We're just one church. Well, we're not going to do it on our own. Brother Hornbeck said we're going to have to all do it. Keep pointing to Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus. So next thing I want us to see in the text is you and I can't, we can't do anything about this crisis situation on our own, but we do know the God who can. And as, as this lady goes to the man of God and looks for some help, the next thing I want us to see is that there's a comparison made. We go from a crisis situation to a comparison made. And in verse number two, Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? That, now that seems like a logical question. The next one seems very illogical to me. It seems like a really weird question to even ask. Tell me, what hast thou in the house? Notice how Elisha handles the crisis situation. He, he looks at this lady, he says, what do you want me to do? What do you have that can help you pay this debt? What do you have in the house? That seems like a really strange thing to me. Because if the widow woman had anything in the house that would help her pay her debt, she wouldn't have needed to go to Elisha. There would have been no need to go see him. But he says to her, and he says, hey, listen, what do you have? And I look at that, and I think, what was Elisha doing? But then I think about the rest of Scripture, and I think there's a comparison being made. From the crisis situation, we go to this comparison that is made. And the comparison that is made is simply this. God will often, when he's getting ready to do a great thing, will start off with those who have very little. When God is getting ready to do something really great, he oftentimes will start with something very, very small and bring it to a great place. You remember what God said to Moses before he led the people out of Egypt? Hey, Moses, what's in your hand? Well, just this dead rod. And cast it on the ground. We'll see what, we'll see what you got in your hand, Moses. Jesus said to Philip, hey, Philip, where are we going to get bread enough for all these men to eat? 5,000 of them, women and children beside. <laughs> Philip says, hey, there's not enough money in the bag. We don't have enough money in the treasury for this, Jesus. Where, where are we going to get this? In all of these situations that you see through Scripture, God says, if you'll take that little bit that you have and you'll trust me with it, Boy, it can go further than you thought. The, the widow woman, she says, I don't have anything. That's what she says. I don't have anything. I got a pot of oil. That's it. Well, that was more than enough. Moses says, I, I've, I've only got this rod. God said, that'll do. Philip says, hey, listen, I, I don't really, I don't have anything, Jesus, but, but I, there's this little boy over here, and he has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus didn't say it, but I can imagine him thinking it. Oh, more than sufficient, more than enough. 
And in the light of the need, the possession of each one of these was small and insignificant. And from a human standpoint, we would say, what you have is nothing. It's useless. But if you'll give it to God. When the widow woman said, okay, I'll give what little oil I have and and I'll trust you and start pouring it into other vessels. Well, her sons were rescued. She was rescued. And when Moses trusted God and threw the rod on the ground and then picked it up again, his people were set free. And when, when, when Philip introduced a lad to Jesus who had just a few small loaves of bread and a couple fishes, well, 5,000 men were fed, women and children beside. I think the comparison is unmistakable. When we consider our abilities, when we look at our bank account, when we look at what we can do, to reach the world with the gospel, the truth of the matter is, we can't do a bunch. I, I can win one person. Maybe, maybe if, I, if I really put my mind to it, let's be honest, I probably can't even win one person a day. I'd love to. I'd like to do more than that. Let's just be honest. I'm probably not going to do that. 7.8 billion people, it's not hard. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to do the math and figure out, uh, that's not going to work. But if I'll say to God, hey, I don't know how you're going to use me, and I'm not really sure how you're going to do it, but I'll go to, I'll go to Italy, <laughs> and I don't even know if I can stay there more than six months, but I'll go ahead and start a church, and then I'll start another one, and 23 years later, they're still there, and people are getting saved and serving out of that church. Man, God's multiplication is, is amazing, When you give the little bit that you have to the Lord, it'll be more than sufficient. So I see, I see a, a crisis situation. I see a comparison made. Number three, I see a challenge given. I see a challenge given. Elisha, Elisha listens to what the widow woman has to say. What do you have in the house? She says, hey, listen, I don't have anything. He hears her. And he, and he, and he kind of almost like he ignores her. And he says, hey, listen. Go borrow these, uh, the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And, and when thou art come in, and, and thou, shalt, uh, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shall pour out into all the vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. You know, when Elisha heard that woman say, hey, I really don't have anything, I think it's amazing that the man of God didn't get discouraged and go, you know, you're not giving me much to work with here. But he says to her, hey, listen, I got a plan. Go out and borrow a whole bunch of pots. Go out and get as many, borrow not a few. Go to all your neighbors, go everywhere. Knock on everybody's door and borrow not a few. Get as many of these things as you can. And aren't you encouraged tonight that he didn't say, no, you have to stop when you get to 100. She could have borrowed 1,000. She could have borrowed 10,000. Go borrow as many as you want and keep on borrowing. What would a financial planner say today? She's in debt and he says, hey, go borrow some more. Financial planners say, see, I told you those Christians were wackos. It doesn't make any sense. You're already in debt. Go borrow more stuff. What's that going to do? How's that going to help? Well, let me remind you that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. That the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
And you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound those things which are mighty. And the base things of the world which are, uh, which are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring not things that are, that no flesh may glory in his presence. Think about it. Abraham... He was a complete unknown when God called him. You and I wouldn't know a thing about Abraham tonight except for that God said, I'm going to use you. Moses was on the run for his life because he had murdered a man. God said, I'm going to use you. Joshua was the servant of a servant. I just read in my morning devotions yesterday, Joshua chapter number one, and it starts off and it says, now the servant of God, Moses, died, and Joshua, his servant, the servant of a servant, he's pretty far down the run. God said, I'll use you to become one of the greatest generals in the history of the world. David was a shepherd boy, and every apostle was poorly equipped to carry out the task that God had given to them. But the Lord delights in using us as small as we are. Understand tonight, you will never be too small for God to use, but you can get too big. And so there's a challenge given. The, the, the gathering of the pots was limited by one thing and one thing only. How much faith did this widow woman have? That was it. She could, the, there was no cap on the number. Borrow not a few. Go to everyone. We might say it this way. How many pots she and her sons borrowed was limited only by what they thought they could trust God for. Every pot was a mile marker of their faith. But it works in reverse. Every door that they didn't go to. And I don't know if they stopped short. And I, I don't know where. I know this. When the oil, when, when they were pouring out the oil, she was looking for some, more, for some more vessels. She was expecting there to be more. The son said, that's it. We don't have any more. So I don't know where they stopped. But wherever they stopped, that was where their faith kind of topped out as well. What Elijah was saying is what, what you can trust God for, God can provide. And we're going to see in the text that the, the Lord would have filled as many pots as were borrowed. You know, that's really how it works with faith's promise. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, we didn't read it this morning, but it was part of our text. But I say... He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now God doesn't say how many seeds you can plant or not plant, but he just says bountifully. However much you do, you will reap bountifully. I think about, I think about our own involvement in faith promise missions and and how the, through the years we've seen God apply in miraculous ways. I told you about the phone call in Montreal. I could tell you about the time that, that we, were, uh, we were in Shikudami. And uh, for one reason or another, some of our support hadn't come in that month. And I walked out my front or my side door in the middle of a snowstorm on the snow. Uh, laying there was this piece of paper. I picked it up. It was a check written in my name for $500 from a person in Connecticut. No envelope, 
No letter. Just a check laying on the ground. In the snow. Our mail was opened on a regular basis by the Canadian government. We were censored. You, you, don't, you think Canada is a 51st state. It's not. Um, our mail was censored. I don't know if the mailman opened that, if the just got opened along the way, or how it worked out. $500. That closed the gap. I can tell you story after story after story, incident after incident. I hate to call them stories because they're really true things that have happened. Brother Hornbeck could tell you the same. That have happened time and time and time again. As God has done these things that you say, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see it working. Humanly, I don't see it working. God says, I've got this. That's a small thing for me. Notice the, notice the next thing. Notice the culmination of this. So when they went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons and they, who brought the vessels to her and she poured out and it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet another vessel. And he said unto there, and I almost can hear the regret in his voice. Um, yeah, that's all there is. There's not a vessel more. And I want you to notice that the oil was stayed when there was not a vessel more. The harvest was limited only by the preceding preparation of faith. Let me say that again. The harvest was limited only by the preceding preparation of faith. Hey, can I encourage you tonight? We serve Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide that's what Abraham said to his son on Mount Moriah. Hey, 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 Dad, here's the wood. Here's the fire for the wood. There's the altar. Where's the offering? Oh, don't worry, son. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide himself a lamb. He did that in the person of Jesus Christ for you and I. You may think, I, I don't have that much. I don't have that much to give. You've got some bios. We covered that this morning. My advice to you is start giving and don't do a little bit. Because the harvest is going to be limited only by the preparation, the preceding preparation of the faith that you and I, I exercise during a Faith Promise Missions Conference. Aren't you glad for the harvest that you saw in the slides tonight? I am. And I only have a part of that because my faith promise giving started going other places over 20 years ago, but I still have part of that. And I was excited about that. Aren't you glad? Wouldn't you like to have, oh, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 more of him? I would. I would. Wow. Notice one last thing. I'm done. I see in the text, I see a crisis situation. The crisis was that there was death everywhere, and there's a debt. There's a comparison made, there's a challenge given, there's a culmination, but there's a closing command as well. There's a closing command. I don't want you to think I'm preaching health, wealth, and prosperity here. Although God controls our health, our wealth, and our prosperity. <laughs> Verse number seven. Then she came and she told the man of God. And I think she was a little excited. <laughs> it just says she told the man of God. What did she say? Hallelujah! 
The pots are full. We've got all this oil. I don't, I don't know what she said. It doesn't say, I don't know what she did. You know, my girls are, oh, they are deathly afraid one day I'm going to do the hallelujah dance on a platform somewhere. But I'm afraid they would report that to Dr. Schneider, who's our president and general director, and he would have me standing in his office very soon. But maybe she did a little hallelujah dance. Maybe she even raised her hand. Oh, that'd be radical. Maybe she even raised both of them. Hallelujah! You ever clap at a baseball game or a football game? Don't be stingy with your praise to God. Hey, hey, let me tell you what God did. He filled the oil pots, and the man of God said, okay, go sell that oil. Go sell that oil. Now you're going you know, to have some money for some bios. But before you do, just like we said this morning, you can't give to Faith Promise Missions until you pay your debt. You owe a tithe. And pay thy debt. And live thou and thy children on the rest. Can I say to you that you think you can't live if you pay your tithe? And you think you're not going to be able to make ends meet if you give to missions. But Elisha said, go pay your debt and live on the rest. Elisha said, oh, there's plenty. And in the text, by application, our debt is, well, to those around us, the dying of the world to get the gospel out. And I just want to encourage you that if you will follow God's plan, and not try to do it by your own reason, but you'll follow God's plan and do what God has asked you to do as you're giving by faith, paying your debt as well. You know what I've learned through the years? There's more than enough to live on the rest. I haven't had to skip a meal and. Well, and forever. I mean, not since before I got saved. Before I got saved, I didn't, I didn't know where food was coming from. I shared that with you this morning. Now, since I've been saved and since my family and I have been uh, in ministry and honestly took a serious pay cut, I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for me, but I was making a lot of money working for the state of Connecticut. My wife was making a lot of money uh, as, as, a, as a legal secretary in this state. And in 1989 or 90, I think it was 89 because we had to prove the income so we could buy a house. In 1989, we are making almost six figures. That was a lot of money back then. You know what I got to show for it? <laughs> a dining room table still. You say, where did the rest of the money go? I don't know. I spent it. <laughs> money was no object. If I wanted something, I bought it. I, it just, but, but, but you say, where is it now? I don't know. You say, do you make six figures anymore? I told you this morning, I don't make three figures. <laughs> uh, but I haven't, I haven't lost any weight, unfortunately, because I keep on eating. All the bills are paid. All the bills are paid. I've got some bills that are due this month, but there's already money in the bank to pay those. I'm not worried about that. You say, what about next month? Well, that's God's problem. That's not my problem. I take no thought for tomorrow. I can't add one stature, one, one cubit to my stature. I can't add one inch to my height by worrying about it. Why would I worry about what, what's going to happen next month? I might not even be here next month. Jesus might come. 
I'm not going to worry about that. I don't have to anyway. Because God says, if you'll do your part, oh, then I'll do mine. And you can live off the rest. And can I say to you, when God gives you the rest, it's not leftovers. Exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or even imagine. That's what God does. And if you're saved tonight, you know on your way to heaven, exceedingly abundantly above all that we deserve could ask or imagine. And if that's all he ever did, it would be more than we could ever possibly deserve. And yet he does so much more. So much more. Father, thank you uh, for this uh, day again and for your love and goodness to us. And Lord, just uh, the opportunity to have spent time in your word with your people this week. It's been precious. And Lord, we just pray tonight that we're encouraged uh, from the word. And Lord, that we learn once again uh, that we can trust you to do the impossible. And uh, Lord, we have staked our eternity on your word. Lord, Everybody in this room who's saved tonight is trusting that your word is true and has put all of their trust regarding their eternal soul in that. Lord, help us to learn that if we can trust you for eternity, we can trust you for tomorrow, for next week and next month and next year. And so bless, we pray, as we make decisions in this time that uh, uh, the invitation is given in Jesus' name.